0: Hello, I'm Casey Robertson, and this is the Plato's Academy Center podcast. Today's guest is Simon J. Drew, founder of the Walled Garden Podcast and Community, and author of The Poet and the Sage. Simon, welcome to the show. How are you today?
1: Casey, I'm great. Um, uh, It's been a good day. Thank you so much for having me here. This is an honor.
0: Oh, our pleasure. Absolutely. Uh, I'm in Montreal right now. Uh, Do you want to tell the listeners where you are?
1: Over here in sunny California, yeah, Ooh,
0: wonderful. Uh, well, Southern fine.
1: California. Um, so uh, my wife and I just moved from Australia about uh, eight or nine months ago. Uh, I should have an accurate number on that, but I don't. <laughs> <I'm>
0: just... <laughs> um, but
1: uh, uh, yeah, so we're living now in a place called Fullerton in Southern California in Orange County. And uh, I'm currently down here in Tustin at a, um, a small music uh, school that I manage down here. So yeah.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. Uh yeah, we are going to get into your musicians trip a little bit later because I'm you do so much, Simon. You are uh, a poet, a podcaster, a stoic influencer, a musician. Um, so how did you first become interested in philosophy?
1: Hmm. Yeah, um how did I first get interested in philosophy? It's interesting. I think that that the the thing that really sparked my interest perhaps in the quest for wisdom or for better understanding was actually on my twentieth birthday, and uh before that day, I had maybe read two maybe three books all the way through in my entire life now I had studied at school and at university and everything but I was a very I did well I did very well at school and very well at university but my learning really never came from me diving deep into books and I was not always uh necessarily interested in that that I wasn't always hungry for understanding um but I went to this seminar on my 20th birthday. I went to university and my best friend, Lockie uh, to whom I'm forever indebted uh, for, for this invitation. He said, Hey, listen, uh, there's this guy coming into town. His name's Eric Thomas. Uh, he's this motivation guy. Why don't you come and check him out? So we went in town hall, this beautiful big town hall in Brisbane city in, in Queensland. And he is just this classic uh like black american motivational speaker this huge guy who just gets on, st- on stage and like yells at you for like 40 minutes you know and so i'm sitting there and i'm having this oh my gosh you know i'm i'm like feeling the spirit you know and uh yeah and 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 he said something that just stuck with me that day and it was information changes situations and i don't know you know there's a kind of miraculous quality to the fact that sometimes words just stick out to you and they they stick to your soul and you can't get them out of your head and who knows why those words stuck with me but in the in the next year of my life i, I read about 80 books and just went just wow. dived into a whole bunch of different, you know, just classic motivation stuff, you know, seven habits of highly effective people, the richest man in Babylon, and all this sort of stuff, the place where you start when you're just getting into kind of personal development. But then that matured and I think that it was necessary that it matured into realizing, you know, I'd, I'd listen to the Tim Ferriss podcast and he'd always be talking about stoicism and I started reading Seneca and I just fell in love with this guy who was saying all of the same things that these motivational speakers were saying, but he was saying it 2000 years ago and in a much more profound way and with beauty. And there was a sophistication to it. And that really sparked an interest in philosophy for me. Uh, And so uh, that's kind of how it all started. And then uh, it hasn't really stopped. I don't think it will.
0: It's interesting. Information changes situations. It's like, you know, what the Stoics say about suspending judgment and, um, clarification. Once we, if we don't have, if we always try to ride an initial impression, then that means we are refusing to take in any more information or any more, um, insight into, you know, is it, are things really as they seem?
1: So Mm. that's interesting. Mm.
0: That's really interesting. Um, Nice. Well, and certainly, uh, I
1: mean, just quickly on that. I mean,
0: yeah.
1: I think you're right. And I think that, uh, I said this to one of my trumpet students here the other day, I said, man, you're going to be learning trumpet all this time, but the most important thing is not learning trumpet. The most important thing is learning how to learn. Right. Yes. And, and I've been kind of I've been very interested in that, and it came out in my poetry in The Poet and the Sage, this idea that how do we get ourselves to the stage where we are like sponges for information? But not only that, it's like there needs to be that discernment in between, obviously, of what information we need and what what information we don't. But it's it's so funny because I don't know how much we get to actually choose how receptive we are to the right information at the right time, because you can never really choose that moment. Kind of like I said, with why did my mind pick up on those words? He said a whole bunch of words very loudly <laughs> for 45 minutes, but those words stuck out to me. And it brings me to mind of, you know, I would read Epictetus, for example, and I'd highlight all these great passages. and uh, And then I came back to it a few years later after reading Epictetus for the first time, and I realized... All of the passages that I didn't highlight, that's where he talks about God. <laughs> I, but I didn't pick up on that back then. I was not ready. I was not receptive to receiving those kinds of that kind of wisdom from. And it's just the mystery of the mind. Like, yes. how much do we get to choose the moment when we receive the right information at the right time? But if you can kind of, man, if you have the opportunity, <laughs> if it is presented to you, uh, to upgrade your mind and to, to to make it more receptive to the right kind of information. I think it's something that kind of just develops over time maybe. And that's the wisdom that yeah. can only come with age maybe.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It also comes with the willingness to challenge your beliefs.
1: Yeah.
0: Sort of like yeah. um, in Socratic questioning, uh, you know, we do that. um, And we're not always ready to do that and we shouldn't force ourselves to do that either, I don't believe. um. Mm. It's interesting. Um so would you say that Epictetus is your favorite philosopher?
1: Who's my favorite philosopher? I'd have to say uh if I have to pick a favorite at the moment it's definitely Seneca and he's he's stuck with me since since the early days of getting to know mm-hmm. Stoicism. I started with him and something about his writings just speaks to me. I think it could be because he he was also a playwright. Uh, he calls upon poetry in his writings, not that I'm sitting here being like, well, you know, you must call upon poetry to to be my favorite. But it's, I, I think that Seneca just he understands the messiness of life. Mm. Uh, he was such a, 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 a like like we talk about it, it's it's he was open to receiving wisdom no matter where he found it, and he was simply. You know, I often say to people, "It's like how many times did Seneca talk about what a Stoic should do?" Well, no, he just talked about how to live a good life and what what he believed was the true path, right? And right. it was never about sticking to a dogma. And that's why he said, "You know, there's yet to be a monopoly on truth." So I found him to be really intellectually honest, uh, a beautiful writer. I love beautiful writing. Um, I think that that is something that these days we have lost sight of, the importance of a book being uh, uh, just the, the language, the sentences, the paragraphs, they all flow in such a beautiful poetic way. Uh, and I found that in Seneca, you know.
0: Yeah. And I like how you said that there's an honesty to it because that's what I think when I think of Seneca is um, a particular quote I'm going to paraphrase that shows his transparency is that, I'm speaking to you as if we are, are both sick in the hospital, but I know yeah. what could help us both in his letters to Lucius. Um, and I absolutely love that about Seneca. I love him for the same reasons. It's excellent. Mm. Um, <clears throat> how has uh, philosophy changed your life or helped you help others? I know it's kind of a loaded question.
1: Mm. Uh, man, how has it helped my life? Uh, in so many ways um i mean it, can, it just seeps into everything uh everything that i do and i think what it did for me ultimately is it woke it it woke me up to the possibility of enlightenment you know mm-hmm. uh that really if if you're a philosopher and you're not Trying to seek the pinnacle of the human experience, uh, or to at least hold that as a question in your mind, you know, what would be possible if I was able to awaken every part of myself that could be awoken, to truly seek after truth, wisdom, virtue, the divine? Uh, you know, I think philosophy, going deeper into it, just made me realize that there's a whole bunch of people in history who were fascinated with this question of what does it mean to be a human being and what does it mean to be awake fully mm-hmm. to this experience that we're all having here. And in terms of helping other people, uh, you know, one of my uh, good friends and uh Della, poet and mystic from, from Australia who's now working with us in the World Garden, Rocco Jarman, he shared with me this beautiful poem about being the hand the, the hand that lowers down and helps somebody up, right? But we can all be that, whether it's Seneca spending the end days of his life writing 120, 124 letters and being that hand that reaches down and says, I'll help you up. I'll help you to see something different, to be something different. Uh, but we can all be that in whatever way we, uh, uh, in whatever way we can. Um, and so I think when it comes to helping other people, I have been always stretched between, um, well, as you know, from the walled garden, I have a a bit of a grandiose uh, um version of, of what I'm trying to do to help people. You know, for me, it's gathering philosophers together. It's, uh, seeing if we can seek wisdom together and share what we learn with those who are listening. Um, but I also like Sharon LaBelle's approach, you know, she has a real, um, reverence to her around these simple daily activities that we do. That can make a massive difference for somebody right now right here mm-hmm. and so I think you know philosophy if it if if it's done anything for me in terms of helping other people it's just perhaps awakened those parts of me that recognize oh there is an opportunity always to be of service or to help and I think that this is something that I always struggle with I mean especially living in somewhere like California where it's so easy to become desensitized to human suffering when you walk around and there's homeless people everywhere and there's people just losing their minds there's people pulling over in their cars saying, Hey, listen, I just didn't get paid for a cleaning job and I just need $20 for fuel and they've got kids in the back, things like that. When that happens all the time, it's easy to become desensitized to it. But uh, philosophy always calls us to do the simple good deeds when you can, when it's appropriate. Mm. Um, and so I think just having these great people to look up to, say, wow, look at what they did in their life, look at how they helped people, it can serve as kind of a measure of our own adherence to that same path of being of service
0: when Absolutely. we can. Yeah. yeah. It reminds me of uh, Marcus Aurelius um, in his quote, where he talks about when you arise in the morning, you're going to uh, encounter all these different types of people. Um, But you can be a part of the light because although there is ugliness within people that we also identify with, um, that we were meant to help each other. And it's not natural for that to be disruptive. So in order to um, sort of, uh, how do you say, uh, be one it, be one with nature or, um, you know, em, embrace the natural, um, it, those things should not get in the way we were meant to work together, just like the arms and legs were meant to work with the body, you know, the rows of teeth, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and what you had said about, uh, pulling other people up and then doing that after you sort of awakened, when you have reached your full potential, I think, uh, in wisdom, because you can't pull other people up when you're not, um, I guess, psychologically ready for it, when you re- we are ready to hear all the things that you have needed to hear, and then you can help other people up. Um, that's what it reminded me of. Um, hmm.
1: Hmm. Uh, I mean, on that note, I do think that, uh, you know, when, when I started the Practical Stoic podcast, I didn't know nearly as much about stoicism as I should have to start a podcast.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: I started it and lowered that hand down and said, Hey, listen, maybe I don't know as much as some people, but I'm here to speak and I've got some ideas and I'm, you know, gathering wisdom from these, pod- from these great philosophers mm-hmm. and the people that that helped, you know, I, I think we all have something to offer. We all have something to offer. Yes. Uh, yes. And, um, yeah, but sorry, I, I know you were leading to another question. I'll let you, I'll let you do it. Oh my, no, that's my, fine. This
0: is excellent. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I like your point um, that we should use. You remind me of myself in a way where uh, you get excited and you, and you read uh, books. And as soon as you learn something, like what good is knowledge if you're not passing it on and you want to help the next person. And that's what knowledge is for. That's what wisdom is for. Again, we mm. were meant to help one another. Um, so that's excellent. Uh, mm. Leading into the next question. Now, Some people might not know this, but your podcast started as The Practical Stoic and now has become uh, even more than a podcast. It's become a community uh, called The Walled Garden. Can you uh, elaborate on that? Tell us more about that.
1: Sure. Yeah. So um, I guess there came a point for me where I felt as though I was backing myself into an unnecessary corner or unnecessarily backing myself into a philosophical corner. And that was, you know, by considering myself as, you know, the practical Stoic, I'm the Stoic and I'm teaching you about Stoicism. It's like, it's, it's a very, um, uh, it's to me, it seems like, uh, an inappropriate thing to do as a philosopher. Um, I I mean, I, all of the Stoics were debating all of these ideas and trying to figure these answers out, you know, and, uh, Perhaps to be a Stoic, um, at its core, is to actually seek after truth and wisdom and virtue and and the divine. But 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 nonetheless, I just I just felt like it it was time for a change, and that change came at a time when I was uh, really uh, I guess awakening to the self that was trying to become manifest in my life um if I would just let it which was the poetic side of me and uh so I was writing all of this poetry it was kind of like a slap in in the face you know um uh, I never realized that I was a poet until a couple of years ago and then I started writing and I was like wow this is exactly what um what I am and and over time I was really exploring uh, a lot of uh, mythology and different kind of philosophies and religions and all this sort of stuff. And the walled garden symbolism stood out to me. Uh, Jordan Peterson puts it in a beautiful light. He talks about the walled garden being symbolized as a, a place where chaos can manifest itself creatively Uh, walled gardens you think of philosophical gardens I've talked to David Feidler about this he's very uh, interested in the philosophical gardens of the renaissance and uh, even earlier times Uh, there's this symbolism to a walled garden that is you know you could even see it as nature and culture harmonizing perfectly and and so I wanted to create a podcast where chaos could manifest itself creatively. And I wanted a community where we could have the same. Uh, you know, the walled garden is, there, there are walls and that's kind of like safety, but there's also this idea of, you know, being in a walled garden and then leaving the walled garden. It's the same sort of symbolism that you find in the in, in the, the story of Buddhism, you know, uh, you know, born in this walled garden and then you go outside and you see and then you bring back into the garden. And so there's there's so much symbolism there, but nonetheless, I just felt like it was time to change and time to build a community of philosophers, do something that wasn't just building my personal brand, but that was bringing just phenomenal individuals together together. Uh, to To go on a collective pilgrimage of sh- of sorts, you know, to 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 collectively seek after uh, what we found to be true, wise, beautiful, or virtuous, and uh, and so that started with Sharon LaBelle and Kai Whiting. And the reason I brought them both on board, uh, Sharon, I just have always adored her since our first conversation. And she was such a mentor to me while I was uh, starting to write poetry. Uh, and she saw something in me that I perhaps didn't see in myself. And Kai has always been like a brother to me since I've known him as well. Somebody who I know I can rely on, somebody who is academically rigorous and will pull me up when I, when I need it, you know. And so I've gathered these phenomenal philosophers now and we're building this community Called the Walled Garden Philosophical Society, and uh, and what we hope is that it will allow us all to uh, uh, to rediscover, you know, what is worth holding on to in these times of great fragmentation. What is what is important? What is the human experience all about? What brings us together? What lifts us up? Uh, what helps us? What helps just full stop. Uh, and so that's kind of what we're doing. And it's, uh, like any organization, it's, it's just a slow grind trying to get this thing off the ground, but man, uh, when you're surrounded by the kind of people who are surrounded by and just the, the, the vision that we have, we are so excited to see what we can, what we can do with this community
0: that's wonderful well it sounds yeah, like it's a long it's answer going... <laughs> no no that's great It sounds like it's going great so far because you guys do uh, meetups and uh, read- throughs of different books and uh, even is it journalism workshops as well journalism? so
1: we have um, we have a whole bunch of different things that we're doing uh, one of them is events and so we run uh, regular events probably uh, two two three four events a week Um and uh, these are all directed towards, uh, you know, some of them about stoicism, some of them about just general living well. Some of them are focusing, for example, we're doing soul searching with Seneca, where we're going through all of his letters. We've got uh, David Alexander doing, uh, who, who is a, a, a psychoanalyst uh, from New Mexico and and a practicing stoic. He's doing mindfulness meditation. Uh, uh Josh Bertolotti, who has the uh, In Search of Wisdom podcast, he's doing a book club. And so, you know, we're giving all of our philosophers the chance, like we said, chaos manifests itself creatively. We're saying, what do you want to do? And how can we do that? Uh, because that would be a beautiful thing. And then we have philosophical mentoring as well, uh, where we're you know, bringing our philosophers together to. Uh, be of service to students who really want to go deeper and have that mentorship by their side uh, and all kinds of other things in the in the pipeline um, uh, with the journalism thing you might be thinking of professor joe Saracusa, and yes. uh, joe we are so honored this is a guy uh, he's he's currently serving as the professor emiratus of the australian council for humanities and social sciences he's absolutely one of, uh, perhaps the leading expert on nuclear weapons history in, in the world. Uh, he's a pro- been a professor of diplomacy uh, uh, for uh, much of his life, about 40 years in higher education in Australia, uh, and he's just received a new position, uh, uh, Head of Global Futures at a, at a university in Australia written over 50 books you know and and he is our uh, honorary professor in the world garden and i just can't believe that we get to have people <laughs> as a young budding philosopher for philosopher myself i can't believe that we get to have these people in our presence these giants
0: i was you know. going to say it excites me when you talk about this roster of people i've had the honor of uh, sharing a sharing a speaker's roster with um sharon labelle at Stoic Connects women and uh kai whiting you know he's gosh he's doing fantastic things and he's such a headstrong individual yeah. um and people love to hear him speak and he's going to be speaking at uh, our stoicism politics event as well
1: beautiful um
0: so speaking of creative endeavors Uh I wanted to talk to you uh about your book as well, um, The Poet and the Sage.
1: Sure. Absolutely, yeah.
0: Yeah, tell me more about that. Um and where can we find it?
1: Yeah. I I guess um so I started to write that book back in twenty twenty. I think so many people had this experience of the pandemic hits and uh, you know, you have a shift you know, a lot of people have had that shift where they realized something that they love to do or some creative pursuit. But uh, for me, it came when I kind of wrote this strange, uh, weird, mystical dream one day. And it was, I could tell because I had been looking into this sort of stuff for a while, I can tell that there was something to it symbolically. Uh, there, There was some... Meaning hidden in it that I wasn't quite sure of, but it just kind of hit me, and I took this dream to Sharon. I said, "Sharon, what do you think of this? <laughs> what is this?" And and she just kind of said, um, "You have to keep on writing. You know, so, something's there," and that was really the birth of uh, me realizing that I was a poet, and not in not in the way that you you might say I you know I I like to write poetry, but no, I, I really believe. It, in this uh stoic idea that we are supposed to uh live in agreement with nature which means you need to figure out who the hell you are what are you what kind of human being are you uh what do you do uh if 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 you're left to your own devices and nothing else just what is it that you are all about and i just realized wow you know the, the next few years and it keeps on going just writing poetry constantly but you know, I wrote this book, The Poet and the Sage, which uh, really, uh, you know, there's theology, there's philosophy, people will find Stoicism in it, but it's not a book to teach anybody about Stoicism and it's really not a book to to impart any sort of instructions. It's, it's poetry and prose uh, uh, following uh, this poet in the story uh, who enters into a kind of divine communion with the sage and uh, what comes out along the way is um, pretty strange. And I'll I'll admit, I mean, I'm still trying to figure out a, a lot of it. I'm, I'm still trying to follow the breadcrumbs of my poetry and where it goes. But I think it was the first uh, truly creative artistic expression that I had uh, that was me sitting there and not saying what do I want to write but allowing something to kind of flow through onto the page and uh and so I kind of thought well I'm going to spend about six months writing this I guess and then the rest of my life figuring out what the hell happened (laughs) so that's (laughs) what the poet and the sage is it's uh this poetry and prose uh that uh you know if people are interested at all in in say the more mystical texts like uh, people like Heraclitus Uh, Lao Tzu, the Tao Te Ching, uh, these kind of, um, you know, there's even a a, a biblical kind of um, sensibility to it because I naturally started writing in the kind of King James, these and thou's and thine's and all that sort of stuff. That's just how it started coming out. And so if people are interested in that, I think that they will find this to be uh, perhaps
0: perhaps
1: I don't wanna I don't know what useful is the wrong word. Um I know that they will they will get something out of it. They'll get oh, something yes, out of it. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And yeah.
0: you know, the, the Stoics um write about mysticism as well. You know, the cult of Demeter, when we talk about, you know, death is simply like an ear of corn being reaped. That mm. is a reference to the cult of Demeter as well. Um so mysticism and stoicism are are not that far apart. So I love this. I absolutely
1: yeah. love this. Well, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I think if if my work is directed towards anything, it is, um, and and I didn't. I really didn't choose this. I really did not choose this. This was not the path I thought I'd be when I started the Practical Stoic podcast. And I'm talking about here's a good life hack, and here's a good. I did not expect to figure out that that's the way that I naturally write, and that that's that's my occupation in life is to kind of show, hey, this divine spark that we have where we can commune with what is beautiful, we, we can have this profound experience of, of being in direct contact, direct insight. You know, the ancients talked about this, direct mm-hmm. insight into the nature of reality. And, and I know that's an insane claim and I still, I have so much baggage within me talking about this sort of stuff because it was kind of thrust upon me, but, um, it's, I'm so grateful that I get to to write this sort of stuff and, and share it with people. And, um, uh, and I just hope that people, you know, sit with it and, and allow it to kind of seep in and, 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 and maybe what it reflects is something about all of us as human beings that, 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 that spark has not left us, you know,
0: Yes. Yes. And, um, coming full circle, talking about the walled garden and your, um, your goals with, uh, that community, as well as this book, it sounds like we've sort of, um, you've made just the art of living well, just focusing on that, everything, all these principles, all these, um, different points of view that much more accessible by not putting a hard scope on it. That is stoicism. That seems to be your foundation, but, um, but I think your focus has shifted towards, listen, this is all about living well. Hmm. Am I right in assuming that?
1: I think you're, you're, you're right. And I think, uh, uh, there's this, I'll be starting my own grove in the world garden. Now that I've kind of spent all this time, we've been building this thing and, It's going to be called The Sanctuary. And the tagline for The Grove is resurrecting the lost virtue of humanitas. Mm -hmm. And uh, this lost virtue, David Feidler has talked to me a lot about this. And he really, I think there's a lot of people who understand what we're trying to do better than even I understand what we're trying to do. I'm trying to let this organization grow very organically. Uh, We don't know what we're going to be doing one year from now, let alone two, five, ten. But If there's anything that I think is a theme that's flowing through it, it's uh, philosophy can become very uh, – it can turn to stone very quickly if all we do is review the ancient philosophers and say, what did they say? and you know, what did he say? What did he, Seneca talked about this. Well, what do you say? You know, but, um, mm-hmm. but, but nonetheless, what I'm hoping to do is to bring along that part of philosophy that reviews. That's why I, I love working with Judith Stove, where we're exploring the great works of Seneca together, and she has such a profound knowledge of Latin and Greek. And so, you know, we're going deep into these ancient thinkers, but we've also got poets like myself and Rocco, who's absolutely a mystic from Australia, beautiful writings, and he's exploring and different kinds of philosophers, but also musicians and poets and, and you know, uh, uh, what, what can happen when we bring all of these different disciplines together and say, you know, when I'm playing music, there's actually a philosophy to my creativity, And when you're practicing, you're studying your philosophy, what can music do for you? What can How can it help you to to live a better life? And so I think we're trying to bring the humanities in general into a bigger view and say, yeah, "Yeah, philosophy is great, but it's even better when you pair it with music and it's even better when you put photography there and it's even better when you have some poetry. It's like all these things together, what can they teach us? And so I I just hope that what we do is continue to be playful, to, to continue to uh, not be so rigid in where we think it should go that we don't see where it could go. And, and, and so far it's happening. And I'm just so grateful uh, to everybody who's been putting work in. Um, uh, it's a, it's a real honor. Yeah.
0: Wow. You guys are doing some great things, big things. Um, so where can we find out more about the walled garden and where to find your book as well?
1: Well, I feel like, um, the answer for that question should just forever just be Google. <laughs> people are oh. just going to Google it. <laughs> They'll find us. But, you know, thewalledgarden.com. I only sell my book on uh, the Walled Garden store at the moment. Um, and so uh, if people go to thewalledgarden.store, they can find it there. But yeah, thewalledgarden.com is just our central location. And uh, this year we are uh, putting a lot of effort into how do we go on social media and uh, do all of that stuff. And so uh, people can find us there as well, but there's not much happening yet, but there will be. So
0: wonderful. Wonderful. Well, I'm very excited about that. So I think that about does it Simon. Thank you so, so much. Thank you so much for joining us. Do you have anything you want to add before you wrap things up for tonight?
1: I do Casey. This has been awesome. And uh, I just want to say, that we are kindred spirits you and i but not only that uh our organization are kindred organizations right and and we we both want the same things you know we want more people to experience the beauty the uh uh, the, the 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 life of meaning that comes from from a philosophical path And I just really hope that what happens over the next few years, because this whole stoicism thing has really just grown from kind of a grassroots to now there's organizations everywhere that are dedicating themselves to this this philosophical pursuit. I just hope that there's room for more collaboration between our organizations as well, because when that starts to happen, man, we're going to take on the world you know but (laughs) it's just oh yeah this is just the beginning beautiful to think about the the potential yeah yes so thank you for what you guys are doing at the plato center
0: oh thank you thank you all right so thank you everyone for listening to the plato's academy center podcast be sure to share the link with your friends i'm looking forward to the next time but for now it's goodbye from this episode's guest simon j drew and from me casey robertson